Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. It is time for one of my favorite segments that we do every year. It's our year-end and year-look-ahead panel with our political correspondents who give us the behind-the-scenes look on what actually happened covering some of the biggest stories of the year and some of the insight that we don't always get in those politician interviews or the two-minute packs that we do on the news. We're being joined by Amanda Connolly, who is our breaking news and politics managing editor for online, Mackenzie Gray, one of our global national correspondents, and of course, David Aiken, a veteran of this panel, who is our chief political correspondent. Mac, the year started out with a bit of a bang or a honk, depending on how you look at it for those of us here in Ottawa. The convoy, which we all remember very well, you were in the thick of it. Uh, when we were talking about big stories for the year that we were looking back on, this was immediately the one you mentioned. Why did you choose that one? Because it's not just something that's impacted Canadians here, folks in Ottawa, but this was something that people around the world were paying attention to. Everyone was wondering what was going on here in Wellington Street and what was going on in Canada with these truckers, and there was a lot of things happening. We saw various levels of government really drop the ball, particularly the Ottawa municipal government, the police, even the province too, really not stepping in when they were required to be able to help the situation out. And that's why the government says they need to bring the Emergencies Act in. We'll see what Justice Rouleau's report and whether or not that was an important thing to do. But the political ramifications of it, saw Aaron O'Toole out and Pierre Polyev coming. David Aiken, you know, the convoy is over, and while they're talking about maybe doing another one, that's sort of very iffy. I don't think the Ottawa police will ever make perhaps the same mistakes they did there. Um, but the concerns about sort of the political environment and, and the division that it created are still very much alive. Yeah, and, and I mean, to make it story of the year, it started the year, don't forget, and kind of finished the year with the commission, which was fascinating looking inside. Um, everybody's fascinated to see if that convoy, let's say, mood, um, carries on into uh, uh, to inflect, infect or <laughs> flavor our politics, depending on your point of view. But clearly, one leader, Pierre Polyev, was associated in support of the convoy. Is it a feature? Is it a bug? That's a question still out there. I like the Pierre Polyev story as the story of the year for me because, regardless of that, the way he and his party are now doing politics could have some important uh, impacts on all parties. First of all, he became leader by harnessing a lot of people who have never got involved in politics before, younger people. People who were angry, but they got involved in that campaign. Can he move those people now to vote in a general election? Big question, because that is the holy grail for all parties. Two, the stuff he's done after the election, really the party machinery needed to be modernized, the plumbing of the party. They'd lost two elections, even though they'd won the popular vote in two elections, because the liberals chiefly are way better using computerized systems to identify voters and win specific ridings. It's been the liberal secret sauce. Mm. So Polyev has spent millions or is spending millions of dollars to overhaul this computer database. They're overhauling their fundraising. If that's done right, that will pay bigger benefits than the choice of leader. Without being able to match the Liberals on their computerized, get-out-the-vote stuff, they're not going to win an election. And we did ask for Mr. Polyev on the show. For viewers who are wondering, we had Mr. Singh on the show. Uh, Mr. Trudeau did a year-end interview. It will air later with our uh, chief anchor, Donna Friesen. Uh, Mr. Polyev's team didn't get back to us. We continue to hope that he will come on the show. But uh, for folks who are wondering, we do give equal opportunities to all leaders uh, Amanda, coming out of the protest uh, here in Ottawa and that blockade that we saw um, and, and this sort of change in the Conservative Party in politics, we also saw a huge change in the foreign policy of Canada and the change of all of our allies as well because there is something unprecedented in, in my lifetime, I think, and that's a, a land war in Europe, um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
it changed a lot in Canadian politics and Canadian political discussion. It's not just something that's over there. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, there, there is a, a huge number of Ukrainian Canadians who live here. The diaspora, uh, very vibrant, very strong here in, in Canada. But again, looking at the interest here that Canada has in this conflict, it might not have been readily apparent for a lot of, a lot of Canadians at the beginning. It's very clear now because th what this really was, this was not just an invasion of Ukraine. This was a challenge to the global international rules order. And Canada is a, really a middle power without the size of some other allies with the U.S., relies fundamentally on that order to be able to protect our own interests, to be able to engage in a stable way with allies and partners. And so there really was a vested stake to the um, threat to the, the security of Canada here, and the, the government has certainly been acting on that. You mentioned the, the number of Ukrainians, and I did run some numbers electorally. I'm always interested in that. Shannon Stubbs riding just west or just east of Edmonton, uh, Lakeland. 25% of her constituents are Ukrainian. That's where the big Pizanka is, if you want to go visit that. But there is such a stretch of riding, starting in Winnipeg, going all the way up to Winnipeg, the breadbasket, where you have 10 to 25% are Ukrainians. It's a big deal for a lot of voters. And, and one of the features, I think, this year overarching, if we're looking at politics, was division. You saw this with the convoy and a lot of other issues. This was one issue that everyone agreed on. There's been widespread support from all parties for what the government's been doing to support Ukraine, which I think is an important thing to mention in a divisive year. How often do you see unity in Canadian politics, right? And we saw this invasion here. This is one of the rare issues, really. I think Mac is right, where you really do see this broad spectrum support and recognition of the threat and the, the vital existential almost need to act on this and to do it in a unified manner. Well, and remarkable, too, in what we saw happen in Ukraine, because everyone was predicting maybe 72 hours and Russian troops would be rolling through Kyiv. I was there... Uh, in February and March, and the resilience is incredible, and it maintains to this day as Ukrainians face a very difficult winter. It's, it's cold here in Canada. We all have heat. We don't have to wonder if we're going to have power. That's not the case for people in Ukraine, and we certainly keep them in our thoughts. It's not the only challenge to international order, Mac. You worked a lot on the story about China and the government uh, in Beijing attempting to interfere in Canadian democracy, concerns about Chinese-Canadian citizens being harassed here. Where do you see that story going? Well, there's a lot of different angles in terms of what the government's going to do. You know, I was with the Prime Minister when he traveled to Asia, putting his new Indo-Pacific strategy into place. They put billions of dollars on the line there. But really, we heard from a lot of the allies that we visited when we went to those different countries that Canada's really been a Johnny come lately in, in Asia. And if they want to execute their strategy, which is we're going to try and isolate China, and we're going to make more friends with those countries there, they really need to show up there. They're trying to do that now. I think one thing kind of relating to the foreign interference story is we're likely going to see the Liberals bring in some kind of foreign registry of agents at some point in time. We've seen the U.S. do that. The Australians have done that. The U.K. is looking at that. That's the big thing that I think from a government perspective we'll see them be doing in the new year. Amanda, the tone and tenor of Canadian politics is something that I'm expecting. We're going to hear a lot more about in 2023, and I know it's something you've been paying attention to. Yeah, really, of course, you know, working primarily online, you really do see kind of the raw end of a lot of this coming in with social media and that there's a lot of anger, really. And again, I think we've heard kind of over the past year here a reflection of the fact that a lot of that is generational anger. It's young people, it's millennials, Gen Z, Canadians who are young, who are trying to kind of come up and make their way in life and are looking at the situation that they've been dealt and saying, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Maybe my parents or grandparents had an easier way of it. You're looking at housing. You're looking at inflation, food costs, uh, the healthcare system kind of collapsing before our very eyes right now, right? These are major issues that kind of speak to that, that fundamental sense of stability and certainty that young people are looking for when they try and chart the course of their lives. That's not there right now. And I think that we're going to see that really breaking free a lot in 2023 with, with frustration and anger. That was the anger, though, Mercedes, that Pierre Pauly have really capitalized on. If I'm Justin Trudeau, I'm looking at the situation right now. We're seeing inflation's high, but it's starting to come down a little bit. House prices were high. They're starting to come down a little bit. Pierre Pauly needs that anger and discontent. Absolutely. He's going to continue to do well in the House of Commons. Absolutely. 
I have to ask the perennial question that we all love to ask each other in Canadian politics. Could there be an election? There is the NDP Liberal deal, but Jagmeet Singh has been hinting about potentially pulling his support over health care. What do you think the chances are, Mac, of an election in 2023? I've talked to some senior liberals who think there certainly is an opportunity later in the year for one to happen. I don't necessarily think it's going to be Jagmeet Singh pulling the cord on it. The NDP don't have as much money. Does he have the popularity right now to go to the polls? I'm not sure about that. But one thing I am confident about, Justin Trudeau is going to stick around. Will Christian Freeland be there for the next election? I don't think so. That's a bold prediction. So, David, you know, if, if there is this election, Justin Trudeau goes again. He wants to go up again. Pierre Polyev? Yeah, I think he does, actually. That's my feeling. But I'll, I'll be the old, I am the old guy here on the panel, <laughs> so I'll play that part. Jack Layton withdrew support of Paul Martin's minority in 2006, and it was on health care. What do we have happen today, right? Jagmeet Singh signaling that. But you know what? Jack Layton withdrew support, and in came 10 years of the Harper government. But you know what? Jack Layton and Stephen Harper, they got along pretty well during the minority years. Layton got a lot of stuff done with a conservative. Now, I'll look for more election-y speculation when I see the possibility that Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Polyev can come to some agreements mm. to support a potential minority because the Conservatives need strong New Democrats to beat Liberals in downtown Toronto, in, in some key BC ridings, and without strong New Democrats, and they've been a little weak at, at the margins, uh, it's, a, it's to the Liberal advantage. So that's the landscape I'm looking at. But I just think back to how it was in 06, when Leighton said, that's it, I'm pulling the plug on a very long-in-the-tooth Liberal government, when those conditions might exist this time around, then I'd be more inclined. But until then, yeah, I think Trudeau wants to go to, uh, at Mr. Polyev. What's your thinking on this, Amanda? Yeah, you know, I think that the uh, that, that election kind of on-the-road angle there with, between Trudeau and, and Polyev will certainly be fascinating. I'm not in the camp that sees one coming up in the next year here. Uh, maybe 2024, maybe pushing it longer there into the year. For me, the big thing, I think, is going to be watching the inflation rate, watching interest rates. There is a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of financial pain and economic pain mm -hmm. in families right now, and particularly with incumbent governments, where is the, the direction of that frustration going to go? Straight at Parliament Hill, straight at the Liberals. Unless they have a plan to deal with that or it comes down and that pain eases, I don't think they're going to risk it. I think that's great insight, Amanda. And all of you, we appreciate you coming and sharing your thoughts on the big stories for 2023 and for the last year. We will be back here, of course, uh, again, I'm sure, soon, talking about these very issues. Russia's war in Ukraine dominated international news in 2022. What Russian President Vladimir Putin was hoping would be a quick victory has been anything but. Ukraine, under President Vladimir Zelensky, has not wavered in its efforts to defend its territory. Despite suffering major setbacks on the ground, Putin continues to target Ukraine's power grid and other critical infrastructure. Western allies, including Canada, have rallied behind Ukraine. And that was very much the focus at the Halifax International Security Forum I attended last month. I sat down there with Ukrainian Deputy Prime Minister Olga Stefanishnya, and here's that conversation. Can you describe for us what the situation is like right now for the people of Ukraine? Well, we got used to, to live in darkness. Uh, both, uh, both being affected severely by, by multiple crimes committed against people, but also the first thing I noticed when I landed to Montreal is that there's so much light around you. This is not what we have. Uh, but I think that the, what is more important is the spirit. 
this is the spirit which cannot be undermined by any measures of demoralization. Uh, Russia tries to put on Ukraine, whether it's destroying critical infrastructure, attacking residential buildings, massive torturing of population in the occupied areas, or uh, any uh, failure on a battlefield which forces them to use the hybrid warfare as a major method of their, uh, of their aggression. So uh, I think that the major spirit in Ukraine is that there's no way to surrender. There's only way to victory. And uh, this leads to a permanent failure of Russian Federation. Although, of course, the suffering uh, and the losses among population are really, really serious. And you talked about that lack of light. It's, it's powerful because we take here for granted. You're right. The street lights are on. Our power grids are going. Ukraine, like Canada, is a cold country in the winter. And the Russians are attacking your power, your energy. Um, that is such a danger for the civilian population. How do you deal with that? Uh, well, uh, I think that the most important thing that we have not been dealing with that only by ourselves. Uh, after the first massive shelling, uh, counting around 90 rockets like four weeks ago, and this shelling are taking place on a weekly basis with the same massive uh, missiles attacks throughout the area of Ukraine, we have not been standing alone. As President already uh, said publicly, it's around 40% of the elements of the critical infrastructure throughout the uh, Ukraine, mostly the central part of Ukraine, which is not affected by military warfare, uh, has been damaged. Uh, and uh, it's really uh, important that we are restoring back the infrastructure in a very fast and operative way. Basically, all our technicians are also the heroes, uh, a part of the fact that they are not with a gun on a battlefield. Uh, but it would not be possible without uh, a strong mobilization from our partners across European Union and and, and uh, a wider group of allies. But it's also a very important sign that, that Russians has also failed to uh, attack uh, Ukrainian elements of the critical infrastructure through hybrid or cyber attacks. This has uh, left no room for them but to try to physically destroy what we have. What does Ukraine need right now from the West and from countries like Canada? What can we do? Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, supporting uh, supporting the restoration of the electricity grids, of course, we have shared the least of our needs, and uh, we encourage the the companies uh, the companies operating in the electricity market to mobilize their efforts to provide us with everything which is needed. This is a very precise list of technical needs. Of course, we all need generators, and the more generators that we have, that the uh, the better. It could ensure the security and stability of the networks. It can ensure the stability of uh, um, of the of the lightning uh, uh, in the in the residential buildings, but it also can ensure the stability of functioning of the state itself, because connection and electricity and energy is the basis of uh, of, of functioning of of the, of the country itself. So, uh, making sure that we have enough generators and we have enough uh, uh, technical uh, elements which we need to to make sure that we can address and be resilient towards this attack is important, but it's not as important as the ability to close the sky and to save our people, to save our lives and to save our infrastructure. We need more anti-air defense systems, which will be uh, 
making, which would enable us to restore the damaged infrastructure, to regain, uh, regain the sustainable reconstruction throughout the war, and to make sure that we save the lives of our people. Do you feel that NATO countries are willing to give that to you? Are they, are they listening? Uh, well, uh, they are. They are. There's been a significant uh, uh, breakthrough, I would say, in terms of providing Ukraine with entire um, uh, defense uh, defense means, let's say, from various countries, even from those countries like Spain, which has not been there uh, before the first massive shelling. But uh, uh, this is the time where we should go beyond beyond what we can. And that what we are doing on a daily basis in Ukraine, whether it's about military uh, and armed forces of Ukraine, whether it's about those people providing humanitarian assistance or politicians and ministers who are doing everything possible to go beyond, uh, beyond any measures and beyond any boxes. So if uh, some of the allies still think that they've done uh, everything they could, we assure you that you didn't because the war is lasting, people are dying, and, and the families are losing their loved ones. Why do you think the Ukrainian military has been so successful? All the experts I talked to behind the scenes back in February said this will be over within 48 to 72 hours. And instead, Ukraine has not only put up an incredible defense, but pushed Russia back in many places. Why do you think that is, that, that you've been so much more successful than people were expecting? I can, I can uh, do the same comparison to, to our president. You know, uh, Ukrainian president has been a revelation to, to many of the European leaders. Uh, his determination, his commitment, the fact that the very fact that he stayed in his office from the minute one of the, uh, of the shelling, and everybody were asking me, uh, what would you say for that? And my answer was, is that... Uh, it is you who came to know a president like that, and he has always been like that. This is the same goes for Ukrainians. Are you worried about the potential for a nuclear strike? Uh, of course we are, and, and we're extremely worried of the fact that uh, this nuclear threat could be materialized through a massive provocation on the Ukrainian nuclear object like nuclear, like Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, like Chernobyl uh, nuclear power plant. Uh, Russians would never act bluntly by simply shelling uh, the, the nuclear bomb to Kiev. They would do the hybrid methods, and, and for us it's really important that first, uh, international partners and leaders would have the equal reaction to any nuclear blackmail or nuclear threat which will be posed by Russia, even if it's done through using Ukrainian nuclear objects like Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Uh, but from the other hand, we understand that this nuclear threat will be hanging over all of us, regardless the fact whether we react strongly or not strongly. There will be such a threat as long as Putin is in power, as long as the war is there, as long as Russia has any hunger for any aggression, whether in Ukraine or Poland or any other country around the world, this threat will be there. The thing is that what we are doing, uh, if we're like acting in a way that we do not want to irritate Russia, this nuclear threat will always be there. And this hunger for being unpunished will always be there. So um, we anyway call upon action to stop Russia, to end the war. And uh, we should do it fast. We should do it co in a coordinated way. And I think that it is us, Ukraine, and partners who should make the decision when the war is over, not the Russians. And how do you make that decision? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's absolutely clear at this stage. President, has, President of Ukraine has announced the 10 points of the 
peaceful plan, uh, whereas the negotiations is only one of the points. And uh, I think that everybody should stick to this understanding that this is a concentrated uh, set of actions needed to be to be done on Ukrainian side. We will be moving on each of these points. This is uh, the implementation of the MAGATE recommendations on the elimination of the nuclear threat, restoration of the grain corridor, uh, exchange of all prisoners of war, uh, bringing Russia to justice, then negotiations, and then security guarantees to Ukraine. So these are the key elements we will be moving towards regardless of any developments, and we hope that the partners will be sticking together with us. And then this will be the situation when we will be holding the file of the victory. Deputy Prime Minister, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. We have witnessed a remarkable year in 2022, one that I've been fortunate to cover on the ground, filled with events that transformed our country, our politics and the world. It started with the anger and protest of the convoy right here in Ottawa that saw our capital transformed, revealing cracks and divisions in our society. We were then immediately faced with a land war in Europe, and we deployed the West Bloc to witness the bravery and valor of Ukrainians. We were also reminded that the greatest victims of war are also the most vulnerable. At home, the face of politics changed with Pierre Polyev's massive win to become the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and Premier Danielle Smith's victory in Alberta. And we marked the passing of the Queen, Canada's longest reigning sovereign. We appreciate you joining us on this journey, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the small but mighty team who you don't see with me on the air, but they are the people who get me to air, and I appreciate them, especially producers Bernadette Vanesta, David Baxter, Jillian Piper, Brian Mullen, our editors Frank Bolt, David De La Harp, and Diana Hagermeyer, and Luigi De La Penta, one of our cameramen here, as well as Sarah Krizak, my makeup artist who makes me look like this. I'd also like to thank our director, Clint Baradell, and the rest of the amazing Edmonton team. This is a cross-country effort to put the West Block together. From all of us here to you, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, 